All right, if you are joining us this morning for the first time or if you're back after being away for a while, we are on week three of a message series that we're calling Shaken, and we are walking through the book of Romans and talking about how this book of the Bible really shakes things up. And uh, if you've missed any of our previous messages, you can certainly catch up on podcast. If you're taking notes this morning, you... uh, We'll want a note card. They're up here on the sides of the stage, and some are back at the Welcome Center, so feel free to move around and grab the note cards. Uh, I want to just kind of catch you up a little bit in case you haven't been with us the last two weeks. We started right at the beginning of the book of Romans, and Paul, the writer of this book of the Bible, lays out for us perfectly what this letter is all about, and he says that he is not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God... Uh, for the Jew, as well as for the Gentile, for salvation. And so really what the book of Romans talks about is how we get reconnected to God and how we can stay on mission. And so I wanted to teach uh, from the book of Romans, partly because it's one of my favorite books in the Bible, but also because uh, as as connectors, we, we say all the time, we're on mission, and we're helping people reconnect to God, and if we're really going to stay on mission, we have to know what that process looks like. And so we're talking about what Paul calls, calls the gospel, and we're talking about how uh, we're reconciled to God, how we're reconnected to God. And so week one, we talked about how grace and forgiveness turns the idea of karma on its head. Uh, The idea of karma just seems to be infused into most of the world religions. It seems to be something that's just innate in us. We seem to believe that whatever we put in is going to come back to us in some way. But the gospel, grace, turns that on its head because God comes to us and says, because of Jesus, I'm offering you forgiveness. I'm I'm offering you what you don't deserve. I'm offering you uh, reconciliation to God when all you really deserve is rejection and separation. And that's the message of the gospel that's completely different than the ideas of karma that we seem to have in our heads. And then last week we uh, talked about uh, the, the second half of Romans chapter one, and we talked about the progression of sin. And Paul does an excellent job of laying out the message of the gospel by starting with the problem of sin. We all have a big problem with sin. And we ended in chapter 2, verse 1, that says, none of us can judge because we're all guilty uh, of sin of some sort. And so we talked about how we're all broken and we all break differently and none of us can judge. So that's kind of where we've been. Today we're going to take a a good look at the first half of Romans chapter 2, and we're going to be talking about shaking up judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be judged. Anybody here just love being judged? Not very many of us. <laughs> Travis, you don't either. I'm, I'm going to judge you and call you a liar. Um, <laughs> I don't think any of us like being judged, and certainly in our culture, nobody wants to be judged, and we hear a lot about tolerance, and we hear a lot about judge not lest you be judged. People love to pull that verse out of the Bible and, and quote it and say, don't judge me. Uh, But I think today, Romans chapter 2 is going to shake up some of our ideas of judgment today as we take a look at this. Um, And we're going to talk a little bit about secrets. Paul addresses the issue of secrets in our hearts. So I was thinking this week a little bit about the areas of our life that we keep secrets. 
I was thinking about football. Chris and I have been watching football on Sunday afternoons, and I know many of you are too. Some of you are probably anxious to get home and watch the games. Um, but I, I've, I've been kind of noticing, because I'm studying this stuff, right? I've been kind of noticing how the coaches are on the sidelines of the games, you know, and they've got their big note, they've got, they've got their headsets on, then they've got their notebooks, and they're always talking like this, you know, so nobody can see their lips, and I, I'm not even sure who they're talking to, but they don't want the cameras on their lips in case their secrets get out. Why? Because those secrets are what is driving the game. And if the opponent finds out what you're going to do next, they're going to have a better strategy for defense, right? Uh, I was thinking about some of us have jobs that require like a security clearance. The government needs to know that you're not going to give away any government secrets, right? Um, I was visited a couple of weeks ago by an FBI agent who uh, came to my office and she wanted to meet with me because my next door neighbor works for Oracle and he needs a government clearance. And so she came to find out what I knew about my neighbor. (laughs) And and I told her he was a good guy. (laughs) You You didn't have to do that, did you, Tina? You will. Tina just got a good job at Oracle. So uh, life is good in the Tina household. Um, but, but those kinds of secrets, sometimes they're required by our jobs. You know, you, you, can't, you can't share the secrets uh, that, that might give your competitor a leg up. I was thinking even of my life at home, and, and there's times in my household that I keep secrets, especially around birthdays and Christmas. Now, I'm somebody who loves giving presents, and I also love getting presents. My birthday is December 9th. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and as, a, as a good gift giver, I, I love to surprise my wife. We're coming into a season in our family uh, where there's birthdays and there's Christmas and anniversaries, so lots of occasions for gift giving. And when we were newly married, I... I I loved trying to surprise Chris, and I'd find the perfect gift. And then I just assumed that her family was like my family, that when you knew there were gifts in the house, the hunt is on, right? Did any of you come from a family like mine? Okay, and so you hunt, and you you find the present, and you shake it, and if you can get away with it, you open it, and then tape it all back up, right, all that kind of stuff, you know? And so I assumed Chris was like that, and so I would find the perfect, and I would spend hours finding hiding spots for for, for Christmas presents. And then I found out that Chris is wired completely differently than, my, than, than I am. And uh, she doesn't have a curious bone in her body. And she doesn't go looking for presents. If there's a present under the tree, she doesn't touch it. She doesn't look at it. She doesn't shake it. She certainly isn't going to unwrap it because she always says, I want to be surprised on Christmas. And so, um, she's, so now I don't even bother hiding anything. It just goes right in my underwear drawer where she could find it if she wanted to. And that's just <laughs> oversharing. Sorry. Okay, I'm going to stop. I, yeah. Stick to the script. Okay, here we, back to the script. Anyway, um, we all have secrets, right? There's different things about our lives that, that we keep secrets, and secrets drive big parts of our life. But there are some secrets that we keep that if the secret gets out, there could be huge consequences, right? And especially when it comes to what the Bible calls sin. The problem that we have with the secrets of our heart, of our hidden lives, is that God knows all of your secrets, all right? 
And is that news to anyone? God knows all of your secrets. But what might be no, what might be news to you is that not only does God know your secrets, but God, the Bible says in Romans chapter 2, is going to judge the secrets of your heart. And that's kind of where we're going today. And that might shake you up a little bit today, but I think it's all good. So if you've got your Bibles today, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 2. Or you can use an electronic device if you don't want to use any of those things. I think most of the scriptures will be up on the screen except for some in Matthew that we're going to be turning to. But I love it when you follow along with me and I love it if you mark in your Bible. It'll help you remember some of this stuff if you mark up your Bible or highlight in version if that's what you're using. There's lots of ways to take notes. And uh, I hope today that you'll want to remember some of what we're talking about today. So we're going to start Romans chapter 2 right at verse 1. And this is where we ended last week. You might remember that in the translation we used last week, this verse started with the word therefore, which links chapter 1 to chapter 2. doesn't end at that chapter break. Paul says, therefore, uh, chapter 1 was describing all kinds of sin, all kinds of compromise, all kinds of things that are offensive to God. And then he says, therefore, and we'll pick up here. Therefore, you may think that you can condemn such people, all of these sinners. But you are just as bad. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are just as bad. Okay, some of you didn't want to say that to your neighbor. So look at me and say, I am just as bad. Okay, you did a little bit better with that one. You are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say that they are wicked and should be punished... You are condemning yourself, for you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Verse 3, since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think that you can avoid God's punishment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So where we ended last week was with this big idea. We are all broken and we all break differently. If you missed last week's message, I hope you'll listen to it on podcast and get caught up. Great message on on how God... Uh, uses our brokenness and, and how we can find healing in Christ. But we're all broken. We can't judge one another because, because we're all broken, even though we all break differently. But then Paul says, therefore, and this is our big idea for this week, therefore, I can't judge. I can't judge, but God will judge. Now, I think most of us like to stop at the first part. I can't judge. We're all great. I'm not going to judge you. You don't judge me. We're all okay. We're all happy, and and we're just happy little campers. But the truth is, what Paul says is, although we don't have the right to judge, God will judge. And it's something that ought to make us very sober. God's going to judge the sinners. God's going to judge the judgers. And that's something that is inevitable, and it's going to happen. Now, our culture really likes the idea of a loving God. But I think a lot of people in our culture, 
Christians and non-Christians alike, have rejected the idea of a judging God. And maybe there's some of us even in this room today, you like the idea of a loving God, but you have rejected the idea of a judging God. The problem is, is the Bible has a lot to say about how God judges as well as how God loves. And it's two aspects of the same God that we have to embrace equally. So we're going to come back to verse 4 in a minute, which is beautiful, and we're going to end up with that today. But first of all, I want us to keep reading and take a look at at what Paul says about God's judgment. So here we are in verse 5. Verse 5, Paul says, but because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, and I'm going to just pause right there and say now Paul is addressing a specific group of people. If you have repented, if you're following Jesus with your whole heart, if you have walked away from sin, now Paul isn't talking to you. Now Paul is talking to people who are stubborn and who refuse to turn from their sin. And and this is what he has to say to all those people. You are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they've done. And he will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing evil. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. So this is a description of God's judgment. And listen, friends, it's going to be ugly. In fact, I just want you to make a list. If you're taking notes, you're going to want to write all of this stuff down. Because I want you to really understand the nature of God's judgment. First of all, in verse 5, Paul says it's going to be a day of anger. It's going to be a day of anger. Later in verse 5, he says there's going to be terrible punishment, not just kind of unpleasant punishment, terrible punishment. Do you remember when your parents used to punish you? You know, there were were kind of medium punishments. It was like... um, my mom, okay, I'm off script again, but I'm just going to go for it. My mom had, would spank us with wooden spoons. Anybody else have a mom with a wooden spoon? Okay, yeah, okay. Go wooden spoon moms, okay? The wooden spoon whooping was okay when it was through the jeans, but when it was on the bare butt, it was awful, okay? Terrible punishment. Okay, I'm off script. I'm going back to the script now. So we got out of the danger zone. Terrible, terrible punishment. Verse 6 says, everyone will be judged according to what they've done. Everyone will be judged according to what... And this sounds kind of like karma now, doesn't it? We've already talked about grace turning karma on its head. But listen, if we say no to God's grace, Paul said, for those who are stubborn and refuse to turn and go the other direction, this is what's coming. And it almost sounds as if... Karma is going to be our judge. It's going to be God, but we're going to be judged based upon what we've done, not based upon grace. There's going to be anger. 
and wrath, Paul says in verse 8, if you've lived for yourself. Trouble and calamity in verse 9. Pretty scary stuff. Or if you've lived in grace, there's eternal life. There's glory, honor, and peace. Paul says, if you've turned and gone the other direction and you've received God's grace. Now, it's interesting to read Jesus' description of judgment. I think a lot of us kind of have this picture of Jesus as being all grace and all love, all mercy all the time. Last week, I shared stories with you about how he was so uh, compassionate and loving towards Zacchaeus and toward the woman at the well and, and the woman who was caught in adultery and these people that Jesus just had great compassion on. But when Jesus was teaching, he taught his disciples that there was a day of judgment coming. And that's found in Matthew 25. None of this is going to be up on the screen, so you might want to turn there so you can follow along with me. In Matthew 25, starting at verse 31, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and when he uses the word Son of Man, he's referring to himself. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And he starts talking about how he's going to uh, divide all of the people into sheep and goats. And he says, the sheep are going to be on his right hand and you all are on my right. So I'm going to call you sheep, okay? Will you play the parts of sheep? Oh, you are so quick, okay. And you are on my left, so I'm, in, I'm playing the part of Jesus and uh, you will be the goats. Okay, not quite as good as the sheep, but thank you for that. Um, and Jesus says there's going to be this dividing line. There's, he's going to divide people into sheep and goats, and the sheep represent the people that are coming into eternal life. The goats are the people that are going into eternal damnation. Sorry, guys. It's where you chose to sit. All right? But that's not how it's going to be. It's not about where you sit in, in, in Jesus' world. And, and he says he's going to place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, and then the king will say to those on his right, here's what Jesus says. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then all the sheep are going to say, no, that's not what it says. Then the sheep are going to say, Lord, when did we ever see you and do all this stuff for you? Okay? They're going to say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and bring you food? Or when did we see you thirsty and bring you drink? When did we go to prison and visit you? We never saw Jesus in prison. I never did any of that stuff. And this is what Jesus says to them in verse 40. He says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Right? That's what he says. Then he turns to the goats and he says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and the angels. It's scary to be a goat. Are, are you scared? Nobody looks scared. All right. Big eyes. Give me at least big eyes. Something. Okay. It's scary to be a goat. Um, depart from me into the eternal fire. And then he says, because I was hungry. You didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You didn't 
give me drink. You didn't come visit me in prison. You didn't, you didn't help me when I was sick. None of that stuff. You didn't do it for me. And all of the people, all the goats that are going into damnation are going to say, when did we do that for you, Jesus? We never saw you in prison. We never knew you were hungry. That was not on our radar. And what does Jesus say? He says, whenever you didn't do it for the least of these, you didn't do it for me. And verse 46 says, these will go away in, oh, these will go into eternal punishment and these will go into eternal life. Now, this is tough when you think about Jesus being the judge because we like Jesus being all gentle and pretty and holding a sheep around his neck and sometimes I call it the Jesus is my girlfriend syndrome, you know, because we, we like Jesus to be all lovey-dovey and, and, and nice and, and cuddly and but the truth is Jesus is both love and he is judge and it shakes us up a little bit because we don't like the idea of being judged. But you know what? These were the words of Jesus himself. Now if we go back to Romans, we see that Paul is addressing a very hard question because there's inevitably somebody that's going to say, well, what if, we get, what if we get before the throne of Jesus and we just didn't know? What about the people who didn't have the Bible? What about the people who never went to church? What about those people? The, Jesus won't judge them will they? It's kind of like, it's kind of like parents who have teenagers. How many of you have teenagers? Okay. You've, you've probably been in this scenario where you're trying to teach your kid and you're just instructing them and giving them information they're going to need to know. And what do they say? I know, I know, I know. Cause they know everything when they're 14, right? I know, I know, mom, I know, I know. And then they, they do the wrong thing and the consequences come. And what do they say? I didn't know. I, I didn't know. You know, I, I didn't know. It's, it's just kind of how teenagers work, right? Am I, am I wrong? Okay. And this is kind of like what Paul is saying. So we're back in Romans 2, starting at verse 12. And Paul says, when Gentiles sin, and for Gentiles, we're basically talking about irreligious people. When Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It's obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who don't have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts for their own consciences and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they're doing right. And this is the message I proclaim. Here comes this big downer. This is the message I proclaim that the day is coming when God through Christ Jesus will judge everyone's secret life. God will judge everyone's secret life. Now, when you stand before God, when I stand before God, and the separation between the sheep and the goats, all right, when that separation comes, what Paul is saying is I can't stand before God and say, I didn't know. I didn't know. Because the truth is, if there's a law, you have to abide by the law whether you know it or not, right? What happens if you break the law in America and get caught and don't know? What happens? 
you get punished anyway. Take a look at this video. So here they are, they're loaded into a police car, and uh, they're taken off to be prosecuted. They're saying, we didn't know, we didn't know, but what happens when you break the law in America? Does it matter if you don't know? No, you're prosecuted anyway. So why do we think when we stand before God we can plead ignorance? It's the same, it's the same way. There's no excuse. Paul says they are without excuse. And listen, I realize that this is a pretty bleak picture. But Paul's saying, I can't judge, you can't judge, but God will judge. And the day is coming when God will judge everyone's secret life. But there's good news here, and this is where I want to end today. I want to take you back to verse 4. There's hope in verse 4. Even though we have to realize and we have to grapple with the fact that God will judge someday. Let me read verse 4 with you again. It's up on the screen. Here's what it says. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Let me read it in another translation, and this one is actually printed in your notes. It says, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. That word repentance is critical here. And I like the word forbearance too. In that, in that other translation that I read a moment ago, it used the word tolerance. This word forbearance is really a much better translation of that Greek word. Forbearance means that he is withholding judgment. Tolerance seems to, to suggest that God is just overlooking your sin, that he's not really paying attention to your sin or that your sin doesn't exist. What forbearance means is God realizes you're guilty, but he's withholding his judgment. Isn't that beautiful? That God in his grace isn't just, isn't just passing it over, but he's holding judgment back. And it's meant to lead you to repentance. Pastor Bob in, in Great Falls uh, pointed out to me this, this uh, verse in the message translation, which is really cool. Take a look at this. It, it says, did you think that because he's such a nice God, he'd let you off the hook? <laughs> you thought that. Better think this one through from the beginning, Jess. God is kind but he's not soft. In his kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and he leads us into radical life change. Repentance, life change, turning from our sin. This is the point of God's grace. I can't judge, 
but God will judge. And in the meantime, between those two things, we have an opportunity for grace. You and I have an opportunity for grace. He's rich in kindness. He's forbearing with us. He's holding his judgment back. He's patient with us. And his kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Let me give you a really simple definition of what repentance is. Repentance means doing a 180. Repentance means doing a 180. I think a lot of times... Christians misunderstand what repentance is. And, and probably us preachers have a little bit of responsibility in that because we'll stand up here in front of you at the end of a message and we'll say, let me lead you in a prayer of repentance. And so a lot of people think that repentance is praying a prayer. Or some people think that repentance is just saying, I'm sorry. It's having some remorse. It's, it's having regret. Remorse and regret are different than repentance. Repentance is when I'm walking towards the way of the goats. Thank you. I'm walking towards the way of the goats, and I realize that God is calling me to radical life change, and I turn and I walk the path that's going to lead to eternal life. That's what eternal, that's what repentance is. It's doing something different than what you were doing before. And it starts with a prayer. It it starts with remorse, but real repentance means that I turn and do a 180. It's turning from your sin. This morning after uh, I spoke in first service, it was really cool. Um, One of our connectors, her name is Lonnie, came up to me and she wanted to tell Chris and me a story. And so... uh, She said, Russ, I just couldn't believe you were talking about repentance this morning because God's been dealing with me just this last week. And she said, let me tell you what happened. She said, when I first moved to Bozeman years ago, I was working as a nail tech for a salon here in Bozeman and I didn't feel like my boss was paying me enough. So she said, I was skimming off the top with each one of my customers. I was just taking a little for myself. And she said, I didn't really feel guilty about it because I felt like I wasn't being paid well. And so I I just helped myself a little bit and uh, worked for her for a while and moved on and I never thought about it anymore. And she said, this last week I was spending some time with the Lord and God was talking to me about repentance. And I felt like now years later I had to do something about it. And she said, I went to find the lady who was my boss all those years ago. And she said, I felt like I needed to apologize. And she said, it took some work, but I found the woman who was my boss and I went and met with her and I said, I want to ask for your forgiveness. And then she said, I wrote her a check for $1,000 to repay her for what I stole from her all those years ago. That's repentance, okay? Uh, It's one thing to go and say, gosh, I'm really sorry that I stole $1,000 from you. It's a completely different thing to say, you know what, I'm going to restore what I took from you. That's repentance. Um, I remember uh, years and years ago when Chris and I were just first married and uh, we were leaders in a church in Great Falls and, and, uh, and it, was a, it was a very traditional church that had a lot of history and it was the early 90s and, and things were just a little bit different culturally. And uh, even though it was just 20 years ago, tattoos and body piercings and all that kind of stuff was not really culturally acceptable, especially among Christian people. And in fact, this church that I worked in, I was the music director, and, 
and uh, we, our pastor had a strict rule. If people had weird piercings, they couldn't be a part of the band. And so we had one young man that had an, uh, a little ring in his eyebrow, just a tiny little gold ring, but he wasn't allowed in the band because of that piercing. And, and the pastor was very firm on that. And I remember this one Sunday, uh, a young woman came walking in. Her name was Heather Jenkins at the time. And Heather came walking into our church, and uh, she was high. Chris had reminded me th- this morning that she was high when she came in, higher than a kite. But she needed Jesus. And she walked in, and she had all these piercings up both ears, and her lips were pierced, and her eyebrows were pierced, and there was just all this jewelry everywhere, and tattoos, and, you know, the, uh, the whole nine yards. And she walked in, and she sat in a pew about two-thirds of the way down to the front. And I remember Chris and I looking at her and thinking, oh, my gosh, she has no idea what she just walked into. Because that kind of appearance wasn't acceptable in that church. But something really remarkable happened. At the end of that service, she came to the front, and she knelt at, at the front of that church, and she invited Christ Jesus to come in and be the Lord of her life. She sobered up instantly. I mean, it was a miracle. God just sobered her up. And she had an experience of, of life change that morning when she encountered Jesus in a very real way. It was so cool. And her life just began to change. But Chris and I were so nervous because we thought some little old lady in this church is going to offend her and tell her she's got to take all that stuff out of her face, you know, and, and it's going to spoil everything Jesus is doing in her life. And, and we were just really worried about that. But do you know, I was so proud of my church family because not a person condemned her. Not one person judged her. They just let Jesus do the work in her life. And I think it was about three or four months after she gave her life to Jesus that one morning she came walking into church and all the jewelry was gone. It was just gone. And Chris walked up to her and she said, Heather, where's all your jewelry? And Heather said, you know what? I was praying the other day and I heard Jesus say, give me your jewelry. And to this day, I don't really know what that represented, but she opened her Bible. She said, Jesus asked me for my jewelry. So I took it out and I put it in my Bible. And I, and I don't know exactly what that meant. I just know that there was something that happened internally that changed the course of her life. And it was a repentance thing. I, I don't know if all, that, all those piercings represented rebellion or, or whatever it was for her. I can't judge. But whatever it was, Jesus said, give them to me. And it wasn't some little old lady preaching at her about this and that. It was just Jesus saying, I need you to change. Do you hear what I'm saying? And it's so powerful when Jesus does it and when we obey and go the other direction. I've told the story before about when I was in my late 20s and, uh, and I was listening to a series of cassette tapes. Some of you don't even know what that is, but stay with me. Um, and, and I was listening to these messages on tape and uh, one of them was, the title of the message was narcissism. I had never even heard that word before. But narcissism is when you're completely obsessed with yourself. 
And it hit me like a ton of bricks in the chest because I was totally consumed with how I looked and how people perceived me and hair and clothes and all, you know, I mean, I was just all, I spent more time in front of the mirror than most girls, you know, that I know. I mean, it was just this obsession with myself and it hit me in the face and God changed my heart and I walked the other way to the extent now that Chris sometimes says, can you just go look in the mirror before you leave the house, you know? (laughs) I, I mean, it was, it was total life change for me. And, and this, is, this is what the Holy Spirit does, right? Gabe, Gabe, will you come on up? And, and I, I want you to read that thing that you showed me a few minutes ago, would you? We're going to pray for Gabe in just a few minutes. He's leaving us and moving to Coal Strip, right? Huh? No. I don't even know where that's at. Where are you moving to? Sandpoint. Sandpoint. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know. All right. My bad. Gabe, no, go ahead and sit. Um, I, I think probably most of you know who Gabe is, and Gabe's been a connector, what, five years, six years? A long time. And, uh, and Gabe's a vet and served our country in Iraq. And um, and uh, over the years I've known you, Gabe, I know you've had a lot of struggles, and uh, surrendering your life to Jesus has been difficult at times, yeah? Um, but I've watched step by step um, how you have given the life, the, the Lord control of your life. I remember one thing in particular, um, Gabe used to wear a, a necklace, and it had a big Buddha on it. And, uh, and, and I remember, I think I had a conversation with you, if I remember correctly, and said, Gabe, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can't be a follower of Buddha, too. And we had that conversation, and I wasn't getting anywhere with him. Yeah, and we had a guest speaker, but I don't even think it was the speaker. It was really Jesus who, who changed your heart, don't you think? And uh, I remember that Sunday. I remember it like it was yesterday. You took that necklace, and you walked over to one of those big trash bins, and threw Buddha in the trash. And then uh, you wanted to share this with us this morning. Go ahead and, and share what, what, what you have there. All right. Um, I wrote this a few years ago. Um, it's called The Funeral of Gabriel Joseph Martin. Uh, uh, and also there's a person in here, uh, Jeannie Martin, uh, my, my mother. She passed away when I was 15 of breast cancer. So uh, There was a funeral recently, and I was in attendance. It was a peaceful, solemn ceremony with many people showing up to pay their respect. There were so many flowers, cards, tears, and people that the funeral har- parlor had to open another room. The, mute, the mood at this funeral was solemn, yet had a joyous undertone. People, including myself, were sad, yet grateful that the deceased had moved on to a better place. The casket lay open at the front of the room as I walked in. There were pictures and memories of the deceased all around. Some stood in small groups recalling good times while others sat alone in shock at the finality of it all. I slowly walked through the throngs of people listening to all kinds of stories about the one to be buried. As I moved towards the open casket, I began to notice something odd about it. I moved closer and closer and soon was standing next to the open vault that held the dead. Upon looking inside, my jaw dropped. It was empty. The only thing inside was a mirror and a bag of smelly, rotten junk that began to permeate the room. 
As I looked closer, I began to realize that I was, that it was I who lay peacefully inside the open wooden tomb. All of the people were there for me. But wait, how can I be there when I'm walking around out here? Were all the stories and memories I'd heard around the room of me? How can this be? Then slowly and gracefully, a woman walks up and stands next to me. She stood quietly next to me, staring into the open casket. Before turning and leaving, she looks at me and smiles and hands me a note. I move off to the corner and read the note given to me by this somewhat familiar-looking woman. I sat down, opened the note, and read these words. Gabriel, you have died. Not a complete death, but a death you have needed to die for many years. Some, re some are rejoicing because they see the new you, while others mourn because they don't recognize you any longer. The person to be buried is you, along with all the junk that you have carried with your whole life. Don't mourn your burial, but rejoice because the old Gabe is dead, and now you can live in peace and freedom. With all my love, Jean Mary Martin. After reading the note, I scanned the room, and she was gone. I went to a funeral recently, and I was glad to be there. I have died, and it was good. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that spoke to me most powerfully, Gabe, in that was where it said that... Uh, uh, that there were some who were glad that you were dead, that that part of you was dead, mm -hmm. and there were others that wanted the old Gabe back. That's a struggle we all have, isn't it? Sometimes the ones that want the old Russell back is Russell himself. You know what I'm saying? There's always a struggle. But repentance is what God's kindness leads us to. It's a beautiful description of repentance, Gabe. Thank you for sharing that this morning. Before we finish up, can we just pray for Gabe? This is his last Sunday with us, and we want to send him off with, with our blessings and with God's blessings. So why don't you just stand with us, and, and uh, we'll pray for Gabe. God, it's always hard to say goodbye. And uh, I believe without a doubt you sent Gabriel to be a part of this church. And although we have had our very difficult times together, he and I, uh, Lord, you have given us grace for one another. And, um, and I am honored that you have given me a part to play in Gabe's life. And as he uh, moves on to this next chapter in his life, Lord, as his church family, we want to send him off and ask you for your blessings in his life. We pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit over him. We pray, Lord, that you will empower him to become everything you created him to be. And Lord, we, we seal him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for your glory and for your service. Most importantly, Lord, I pray that you will lead him to a church family that will nurture him and love him and help him, Lord, in his continued spiritual journey. And we pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Okay, be seated. I'll give you your next steps, and then we're going to pray. Just two real simple next steps today. The first one is I want to invite you to do a 180. 
do a 180 in your life. If there's something that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about this morning, I want to invite you this morning, change your behavior. It's not just a prayer, it's making a change. And then the second next step, each week I'm just asking you to read ahead for next week's message, and next week we'll be covering the last half of chapter two in the book of Romans. So if you're staying with us, uh, read that and get ready for next week. And uh, next week's going to be great. You won't want to miss it. So with all that said, put your things aside when you're done writing and stand with me. I'm going to lead us in prayer this morning. Just after we sing one more time with Ben, I, I want us to sing this song about burning and wanting to be in the presence of Jesus. So let's sing that together and then we'll close in prayer in just a few minutes. So stand with us. I have a sense this morning that there's a bunch of us today that just feel Jesus speaking in our hearts. And, and I hope you know what I'm describing there, that you just have this, this urgency to do something different in your life. And, and I would say to you, that's Jesus speaking to you. And if that's you this morning, I would love to pray with you. But because we're talking about stepping out and changing your behavior and it's, it's not just praying a prayer or feeling sorry. I want to ask you to do something this morning. And, and I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. But uh, what I want to ask you to do is step out from your seat and come up here to the front and, and make a line here. And then I'm going to pray for you. We're not going to take a lot of time this morning. But I want you to come as a step, a first step of obedience if Jesus is calling you to repentance, to do a 180, to radical life change. So whether you're brand new to this faith thing or whether you've been a Christian for 20 years, if Jesus is calling you to change your behavior and do a 180, would you move from your chairs right now and come here and make a line here in the front and we're going to pray for you, all right? I, I know there's people all over this room that need, need that, that first step this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for every individual today, Lord. And I want to pray today, Lord, and, and thank you, Lord, for these steps of obedience that each person has taken, Lord God. I thank you, Jesus, that today they have not resisted the tug of your spirit, but that today they have said, I'm going to take a step in the other direction. I thank you, Lord, that today there is the beginning of a spirit of obedience that is replacing a spirit of rebellion. Lord, that there is the first step, Jesus, in saying, I'm not going to keep going down this same old path, but I'm going to change my life. And I'm going to trust you, Jesus, that you know better what's, what's for my life than what I've chosen for myself. I pray, Jesus, that you will send your Holy Spirit to bring empowerment to every one of these people today, Lord God, that they will sense that your spirit is bringing a strength that is supernatural and that will, uh, that will give them the power and the ability to go beyond human strength and will give them the, the spiritual strength and the fervor, Lord, to no longer do it in the old way, but to walk in the newness of life. Lord Jesus, we pray that you will change every one of these people's hearts. Lord God, that, that their hearts will no longer be hard and difficult to penetrate. 
but Jesus, that these hearts will be, will be fleshly hearts, easily moved by your Holy Spirit. That Jesus, you will, you will give us hearts that are quick to obey. Jesus, that you will give us hearts that are quick to do what is right. I, I pray, Jesus, that you will help us to no longer live for ourselves, but live holy and 100% in obedience to you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, this spirit of repentance that's coming on, on each individual, Lord Jesus, I pray that it will be completed by your work today, Lord God. Complete the work that you've started, Lord Jesus. And God, I pray for a miracle in every life, Lord God, that today will be the beginning point of a completely new life, no longer a life directed by self, no longer directed by pleasure, no longer directed by what I think I need, but it'll be wholly surrendered to you, Lord Jesus. Now, those of you that are laying hands on each one of these people, would you begin to pray powerfully? Those of you standing in your chairs, pray powerfully. Let's lift up a prayer to the Lord for all these people. Come on, pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God, we pray for more, more power, Lord, more of your spirit in every life, Lord. God, we just pray that today will not, no, not just be an emotional response, but will be a decisive response that will have lasting implications, lasting uh, follow through, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, God. Thank you, Lord. <laughs>